Welcome to Heart to Start, celebrating 10 years of a community-based exercise program where we welcome everyone to join us, no matter your experience or your pace. The goal of Heart to Start is to use the power of community and movement to help people become their best, healthiest selves together. I'm Dr. James Beckerman. I'm a cardiologist with the Providence Heart Institute in Portland, Oregon, and I've coached the Heart to Start program since we began in 2012. In each episode, I'll be speaking with past participants who inspire all of us in the Heart to Start community and experts from medicine, sports, and performance who can help us better achieve our goals. Later in each episode, I'll be sharing some activity goals for the upcoming week. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram at Providence Health System. And before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Continuing our focus of caring for an active body, this week we welcome our next guest, Eric Marchek, with Providence Sports Medicine, where he is the Senior Operations Manager and a licensed physical therapist. Last episode, we learned about the importance of proper footwear to keep our bodies moving. So today, let's check in with Eric as he helps keep us moving through proper stretching and listening to our bodies during training. Our Heart to Start participant spotlight this week allows us to meet Jennifer Warner. Last year, Jennifer joined us for the first time. We love our first time Heart to Start participants. So at the end of season nine, we asked for some video submissions from our participants to share their story about their experience with us and Heart to Start and any words of encouragement they might have for future participants. Jennifer's story really caught our eye. She's been an avid runner in the years prior to Heart to Start, but like for a lot of us, life took her in directions that pulled her away from her typical routine of exercise. And then came the pandemic. So once that hit, she was looking for a resource to renew her passion for walking and running, and she came across our program. Let's hear about her story and how she found a way to return to the love of running and incorporated it into her regular routine while working full-time, raising kids, and balancing all of life's commitments. Eric, welcome to Heart to Start. Great to be here, thank you. I'm excited for our listeners to get a chance to hear you speak a bit about what you do in the field of sports medicine and how sports medicine can make us more effective as we train for this experience. So curious if we could start by just having you share a little bit about what you do. Sure, absolutely. I'm a sports physical therapist. I've been a sports physical therapist for about 24 years now. 
Uh, the last several years, I've taken on, taken on more uh, administrative roles, but continue to have a practice. Um, most of my practice now is actually working with uh, professional athletes or high-level athletes uh, that don't have time to be down for an injury and don't have time to uh, really uh, rehab injuries, so to speak. So it's, it's a fun challenge and really enjoy that, uh, as well as working with general public um, to help them on their wellness journey as well. That's great. Are, are, are you able to share with us a little bit about what is sports medicine and what is its role with respect to prevention uh, versus rehabilitation in terms of injuries? Yes. So sports medicine comprises uh, different uh, areas of expertise from physicians and orthopedists, orthopedic surgeons to uh, physical therapists, uh, even occupational therapists, all with the goal of keeping people active in their lives. It, you know, sports can be uh, a misnomer because we're really treating and trying to get active individuals to stay healthy or to treat them for injuries if they do have one. Sure. So one of the areas that a lot of people think about when we consider um, physical therapy, injury prevention, or even injury rehabilitation is stretching. And I have these not so fond memories of doing various stretches uh, before uh, team practices in high school sports, that hurdler stretch where it felt like your quadriceps were going to be pulled off of your leg, different things like that. Can you share with us what is the current state of the science and the practice with respect to stretching? What should we do? When should we do it? Stretching is one of those questions I get often, uh, just like you asked, when, when should you do it? What kinds of stretching should you do? It's, it's one of the most common things out there as uh, an injury prevention strategy, uh, but also should I stretch through an injury? That's another question I get. Um, the science has changed over the years. It used to be, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we would be into what they call ballistic stretching, what was quick, uh, rapid stretches to end range. And they found that people were getting injured from that. And that shifted to the other extreme where it was static stretching, where you go to the end range position and, and hold that for a certain amount of time, usually 30 seconds or so, to try to gain some flexibility and, and lengthen that muscle group. And more recently, we found that somewhere in the middle is good for uh, someone that's getting ready to do their sport or activity and call that dynamic stretching. And another word for that is, is an active warm-up. So today we recommend an active warm-up of some sort, depending on your activity, uh, to get the body moving and get the muscles awake to know that you're going to have some uh, load put on them and get ready for that activity. And then the static stretching, uh, which we can talk more about, comes on the backside. And there's a place for both. But the studies really show if you do a lot of static stretching before you do a workout or a strength training routine, it actually diminishes your performance for a short period of time, up to an hour, hour and a half, right in that window when you want to be uh, at your best. And so we don't recommend that. We recommend doing it afterwards, though, and think about stretching for the next 
activity that you're going to do the next day in the next couple of days. So just to summarize there, we're thinking more about dynamic stretching or an active warm up, warm up before we get into our activity. And then once that activity is over, considering some more static stretching, more like the stuff that we used to do back in high school. Um, so for the folks who are doing the Heart to Start program, there is a variety of movement that people are exploring um, on their journey through this program. But a lot of them are going to be walking uh, and doing maybe a more uh, vigorous version of that, which could be uh, speed walking, it could be jogging, it could be running. So when you think about those types of activities, what are some components of a dynamic stretching routine that you could consider? Some people, runners, are really guilty of this. They will go out and start jogging to warm up for their run. And while that's an effective active warm-up, it doesn't necessarily hit all the areas of the body that we want to target to, to really get ready for that load, uh, specifically the low back and hips, and uh, to, to get them to be able to take those forces when they're running. Walking is true. Uh, that's true for walking as well. It's not as important um, if you're looking at the loads and the forces that are going through the, the legs when you're walking versus running, but it still is important. And so what I recommend people do is as they're doing their walk or their jog to warm up for those activities is that they swing their arms and they um, give some self hugs, you know, where they wrap their arms around themselves and then open their chest up again and um, get the muscles moving and the blood flowing throughout the body. Uh, even doing some short walking lunges or little mini squats um, after a minute or two of doing that can be helpful to get those legs uh, to get ready for the activity and, and movement. That sounds great. And I understand that um, once people have registered uh, for the Heart to Start program, they're going to receive access to the Providence Sports Medicine online portal which will <clears throat> provide an opportunity for some visual and written instructions for some of the types of uh, stretches and, and warm-ups uh, that you recommend pre and post-workout. So thank you so much for helping us put that together. Yes, and, and they're generic in the sense that they're, well, they're for anyone, um, but keep in mind that you know, they shouldn't hurt, they shouldn't cause any pain at all. And, and really they should feel good to get things moving. So uh, you, you, people can be selective on what they do as long as they choose some of those to, to kind of get moving and, and get, those body, get that body moving better. That sounds perfect. Speaking of things being painful, um, at, as all of us engage in different types of activity, sometimes it's gonna be a little bit uncomfortable and one of the things that I find challenging to uh, talk about with my patients, for example, is how to make the distinction between the discomfort that sometimes comes on with effort and a discomfort that's a sign that you should not put forth more effort. And this sort of comes down to trying to tell the difference between an ache and a pain. They in a sense, they're the same thing, but they're also really different in terms of 
their ramifications, how we should react to them. And so I'm sort of curious about your perspective on making that distinction and uh, when do we need help? It's a great question and one that comes up again all the time. The difficult thing to get people to understand sometimes is when you're starting a new exercise routine, it's, it's going to feel uncomfortable. And I want people to embrace that to a point because that discomfort, those aches and pains, the, the muscle soreness is a sign that you're adapting and making changes to what you're asking your body to do. If you don't get sore, you're probably not doing enough to affect any change, honestly. So the, the important thing to remember is that is normal. Uh, embrace that, but it should be minimal and it shouldn't impair your ability to continue uh, with your training. That's important. If, if it does get to the point where you can't walk, you can't run, obviously that's into the, the injury zone uh, or potential injury zone that you want to uh, get that checked out. Um, so there's opportunity before it gets there to adjust. And that's the real secret when you're starting an exercise program and trying to advance. Um, I go through a series and, and people that I've spoken to about this before will hear me say this again, but I have a, a red light, yellow light, green light mindset, I, I would say, to an injury or um, aches and pains. So green light is you go through your activity, uh, you feel a little sore um, and a good soreness. And, uh, you know, you're like, wow, I work, work my body in a different way. Um, maybe a little sore, tired in the legs or the arms um, that rest of the day. Wake up the next day, feel pretty refreshed and, and pretty normal with, with minimal residual soreness. Um, the yellow light is same kind of scenario, but you're looking at maybe a little bit more soreness than you'd expect the next day or in the evening. Um, so it's a time to reflect and say, gosh, did I just increase my mileage? Um, did I just increase my strength training? Maybe I need a little more recovery um, before I uh, increase that again. Or you go and do that same level of activity the next time and see if you have a similar response or if it gets better before you move on. The red light, again, is when it changes your ability to do the activity or it just doesn't feel right. Sometimes you know this just doesn't feel right. So if either of those things happen, then it's a conversation with your uh, doctor, your physical therapist, um, and to see if you've actually had an injury occur that we need to, to work on before you can continue. Um, most people try to wait and see. They wait and, and see if it gets better. Sometimes it does after a few days, and then they go back and do the same activity again, and it's right back um, to where it was. So that, again, is back in that red light. If you give it a couple of days off and you're back in that yellow or green zone, okay, proceed with caution and, and keep going. Uh, but it's, it's important not to just wait too long to where you lose some of your fitness that you've gained or that you've uh, you know, allowed that injury to just hang on and not be able to advance. Can you speak a little bit to the potential role of heat and coldness in terms of uh, treatment of these sort of green light or even yellow light 
types of symptoms because I, I think people hear different things. They obviously seem like opposite uh, therapies potentially. And are there times when we might consider one versus the other? Yes, there, there are times where one versus the other is, is indicated. Most of the time, however, it's whatever feels better uh, to the individual. Some people like, like the cold, some people like the heat. I would say if it's muscle soreness uh, and joint soreness, cold will generally feel a little better. And, you know, the window is 10 to 15 minutes um, of cold, but not freezing. Um, that's important. It doesn't have to be super cold to be effective. Uh, and then, you know, some people like to alternate it's where they do the cold for a few minutes and then the heat for a few minutes. And that feels good as well. I would say when heat is not indicated is after a, a an acute injury like where you just did it, like you sprained your ankle, for example, you don't want to apply heat to that joint. Or if you have visible swelling, you don't want to add heat and, and blood to that area. So that's when you would avoid it. Um, ice would be appropriate in that situation. Otherwise, if it's just muscle strains, like pains, like the normal green light, you know, yellow light area, whatever feels better is great. What's your opinion of, um, creams or sprays uh, that people have historically used for uh, pain relief, et cetera, in these situations? Do you think they're helpful for people? They can be. Oftentimes using those and just actively massaging the muscles is where you're getting the benefit though. Uh, there are some creams and, you know, I don't have a preference, honestly, that some people come in and They'll say, I'm using this, that, or the other. And unless I feel it's like a dangerous thing for them, uh, I say, great. Um, or if they're needing that all the time, I'll explore that and say, why are you feeling like you need that all the time? Um, but oftentimes just the act of taking the cream and massaging it into a sore muscle and just working out those muscle knots is gonna have the benefit um, regardless of what cream you're using. You mentioned massage and I feel like lately we're seeing a lot of these products on the market that are uh, massage uh, devices where you they're electric or battery powered and they sort of pummel uh, an area of your muscle and uh, they're marketed as being helpful for this type of uh, green and yellow light uh, discomfort. Are, are those generally safe for people or are there things to think about in terms of maybe they're not the best idea in every situation? They're generally safe depending on how they're used. If, if you have, again, a, an injury that you just did, sprained ankle is an easy one to visualize. You wouldn't want to take one of those devices and put it right on that sprained ankle and, and you know, massage it and, and be vigorous there. Uh, with, if, if it's just general muscle soreness, then it's it's effective and it can be very helpful. I have found that some people get too aggressive with it though, because it is a machine and they'll get in the muscle too much and can cause injury or just damage, just bruising and, and more discomfort than what they originally had trying to use it in the first place. So I would say, yes, it's safe uh, and can be effective, but everything in moderation and this is no different. So I would not go very heavy with it and it should feel good, not painful. 
I'm curious what the most common injury you see in your practice, what for people who are uh, running, for people who are getting to be more active than they were previously, what are the types of things that you see the most? We'll take running uh, and walking. Um, hips and knee pain tend to be the most common that we see. And usually it's a couple errors that they're doing. They're either looking at increasing their mileage too fast or too soon. So they're trying to go faster um, sooner than they should and their body hasn't been able to adapt to that. Or they're trying to increase the, the distance too, too soon um, or a combination of both. And some people, when they start a program, they're really excited and, and that's great and enthusiasm is great but patience pays off and slow and steady to ramp up your activity will get you to your goal. And if you skip a step and you feel like, hey, I did a mile today, I'm feeling great and I'm gonna do four miles tomorrow, you will have more soreness than what you want and potentially lead to an injury. Uh, strength training is a forgotten thing with walking and running. And those are typically the keys to avoid the hips and the knee pain that we see. So knee pain is often due to weakness somewhere else. And when they hit the ground uh, with their heel or forefoot, wherever they're walking or running, it typically will uh, require a certain amount of strength for those joints to absorb that and the muscles to, to work efficiently. If you don't have that, then injury to the joint and just extra pressure can occur. I'm so glad you mentioned the importance of sort of easing our way um, towards uh, endurance or intensity training, because that's why we do interval training as part of the heart to start experience, because we recognize that we need to build up to our goals. And in another episode, we're actually going to be talking to um, a strength training expert who will give us some ideas about different things that we can incorporate into our, our, our workouts uh, on different days of the week than we're doing our hard to start training, even thinking about uh, ways to incorporate uh, some strength building activities into our dynamic workup, uh, warmups, excuse me. So this is all awesome information. One of the big takeaways I'm gonna uh, bring from this is that idea of the green light yellow light and red light in terms of thinking about what we should expect or what should be a warning sign when we maybe have trained too hard or uh, sustained an injury. And also your advice about when we have a fresh injury, being more thoughtful about how we treat that part of our body with respect to avoiding heat and also avoiding massage or intense uh, uh, provoking of that area because we don't want to get into more trouble. Eric, thank you so much for your time and for everything that you do for, uh, for everyone in our community to get stronger and, and feel better. Thank you. This was fun and uh, hope everybody does great in the program and, and has a good time.
Jen, welcome to Heart to Start. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. We're thrilled to have you. And for all of our listeners out there, we're excited to get to know you a little bit today and learn more about your story, how you found Heart to Start, and what your experience has been like. So uh, please feel free to share a little bit about yourself. Uh, Tell us about you. Um, So I am an occupational therapist by trade, so I have a day job, Um, and I am a mother of two elementary age and preschool age children, Um, and my parents live with us, so we're we're busy people. Um, I've been a runner on and off since I was 15, um, but kind of fell out of it for a while till I found heart to start again. That's fantastic. So you mentioned that you're an occupational therapist. Mm -hmm. If you could share with folks a little bit about what that means and what you do on a daily basis. Yeah. So um, most people know what physical therapy is. I'm the other one. Uh, My job is more function. If you break it down very simply, physical therapy is kind of what gets you from point A to point B. It's your mobility. Um, occupational therapy is what you do when you get there. So my job working in a hospital with patients is, can you still get yourself dressed? Can you get to the bathroom and manage everything in there? Can you cook when you get home? Can you manage your medications? So all the things you do in a day are your occupations. That's perfect. So you also mentioned that you started as a runner from a pretty young age. Um, uh, did you participate in like track and field or cross country when you were in school or was this just something that you did because you enjoyed? Um, I started running cross country uh, when I was in eighth grade because I played soccer and that was a good off season thing to do was to run cross country, get yourself in shape for soccer season. Um, I ended up being pretty good at it. So I kept doing it all the way through high school Um, but didn't run in college and just kind of ran when I didn't want to study for a test or when I was very stressed after that. Sure. And so, so you find yourself in your twenties and beyond and starting to do crazy things like have a job and raising a family. Mm -hmm. And I have uh, two kids myself, a little bit older than yours. Um, So I definitely know what it's like to try to find time for for you to take care of yourself and do things that help to enrich you. And I'm curious about your perspective. What has that journey been like? Has it been challenging to find an hour a day to go for a run or do those types of things? It definitely, it definitely has. When my children were very young, I could, you know, push them in a stroller every once in a while when the weather was fair enough. Um, But my husband and I both work full time. So if you want to get a run in and it's a day you work, you got to get out there before the sun comes up. And I am not a morning person. Um, Getting up at 530 or six o'clock was not my favorite thing. Um, So it was, it was a challenge to find the time to give myself the time, the permission to have that self-care time, that to not take care of everybody else for that half an hour to an hour and just give myself that 
time that I needed. So I think that you're trying to unlock a secret that very few parents have the key to. And so, um, you know, taking, taking us back, say, three, four years ago, before you discovered Heart to Start, uh, what were you doing? Uh, or were you unable to do it? I wasn't doing much. I When I really felt like there was time that I could get away, everything else was settled, then I would go for a run. But it was it was few and far between. It would be several weeks sometimes between runs because I just didn't allow myself that time. Yeah. What, what does that feel like when you feel that you're being pulled in so many directions that uh, you almost lose your ability to be centered because that tug of war is, is pulling you on either side so constantly? Yeah, it's, it's tough. I feel as a parent, um, I feel even more... As my job, I'm a caregiver. At home, I'm a caregiver. So it's it's hard to, I preach it all the time to my patients and their families. Like, if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. But sometimes it's hard to allow yourself to be like, but no, that's for other people, not for me. <laughs> yeah. It, aren't uh, healthcare providers some of the most challenged in taking their own advice? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I think that for a lot of people who are listening today, um, and the reality is most of us are caregivers in some way, right? Whether we are parents or we are all children uh, of someone and are, or siblings or friends. And so how do you think about that idea of caring for the caregiver? How, what do you do on a, a random Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning to turn that truth into some form of action for you? I think, you know, when that alarm goes off and I'm not excited to get out of bed, I kind of try and bring myself to a time in my mind where I got out and I did that run or I went and did a workout on the TV before anybody was up and how that made me feel, how it focused my day, how it gave me more energy, how it made me probably a better, more patient parent. Um, and try and just let myself think about that for a minute and be like, no, I can do this. I can get out of bed. It'll be fine. And I'll feel better after I do it. And I always do. I never regret getting up and going for a run. Yeah. It's funny how those types of, um, I don't even know if it's a visualization, but it's almost kind of like letting your mind run through the experience and where you'll be when you're just beyond it. Mm -hmm. That's always a place that you want to be. Sometimes you don't want to be in the actual experience itself, but we all know that feeling of being at the end of the experience and just the way that things open up and mm -hmm. you just feel more centered, goal-directed, and also just more possible because like, yeah, I was able to do that thing so that that means I'm going to be able to do some other thing. A lot of people call this um, self-actualization or self-efficacy. Um, I just think it feels good to <laughs> know that you accomplished something because that's going to tell you that you can accomplish something else. Absolutely. Yeah. So take us through how you heard about Heart to Start and um, 
why you decided to do it. So I found it um, working at Providence um, in the, the healthcare system. We have an app called Choose Well, and you earn points um, for doing different activities. And I found it through there. And I was like, oh, I get 10,000 points if I join Heart to Start. And that gets me a fourth of the way to my 40,000 goal to get my incentive for my company. Um, and I just thought it was time to have some structure, um, to have a group to kind of push me to have that socialization, albeit virtual, um, to get me to get me going. It's funny, motivation comes in lots of different packages. And there is actually, uh, you know, quite an industry out there in the uh, context of, of wellness and the, the workplace of basically how can we motivate people to do the things that they already know they should be doing mm -hmm. and uh, the use of different types of technologies, apps like you're describing, sometimes they're just that little bit of nudge or um, uh, inspiration in one form or another to uh, get people flipping that switch for themselves. So you, you learn about Hard to Start. You say, hey, this is a pretty decent way of getting these, these coveted points mm -hmm. so that I can work towards my uh, workplace incentive. I know a lot of people out there who are working or familiar with this kind of thing. And you think, okay, I got to I gotta check off this box and so that I can get this done. But, uh, but ultimately you show up and tell me a little bit about what you found. Um, I found, you know, I, prior to this, I just, this is the first time I've done it is the past year when it was virtual. And that's a very different experience from what it has been in the past, from what I've read and seen. Um, but even it being virtual, there was a Facebook group where people were posting their runs. You know, there was a structured running schedule, which I am a schedule person, and I found that very valuable. Um, and I am a little bit competitive. So I would say, oh, that person, they got out and got their run done this morning. I can go do that too. Um, even though I've never met them, I still don't know that person from Adam, but I was like, they got out and did it. So I'm going to go do it too. Your perspective is really unique among the folks that we're talking to throughout this podcast series, because not only are you a recent first time participant, but you came to us and we came to you during the pandemic where everything has been turned around on its head about a thousand times and uh, different people and different organizations have found it necessary to pivot. Um, you mentioned uh, social media, the use of uh, tracking, the use of scheduling as ways to keep you uh, on point. And um, you know, it's interesting, social media, we all know it's a double-edged sword, right? We, we hate it and then we love it. And, or maybe we hate it, but we can't keep our eyes off of it. Um, or we just love it because of uh, all the engagement that it helps to provide and the new people that we're able to engage with. And so I'm kind of curious, um, what was it like to um, engage with people even 
from a distance that, that, you, that you didn't know? How were you able to, um, to feel like you were part of something in that way? Well, I feel like um, as far as the people that were posting regularly, everybody was everybody else's cheerleader. Like it didn't matter if you were going out for a run, you were going out for a walk, you were running eight minute miles, you were running 15 minute miles, nobody cared. Everybody was just cheering for each other. Like, hey, good job getting out there. Um, and that just felt good. It was it was a really nice community. Yeah, it's, it's funny how um, even though for a lot of uh, things, a lot of subject matters, social media isn't necessarily the friendliest space uh, because everybody has an opinion and feels like it's very important to share it. Um, and people obviously come from different perspectives and that informs how they engage with one another. But it sounds like for you, hard to start, uh, people had something in common, which was that they were trying to accomplish a goal and they were happy to see other people accomplishing goals too. It's kind of a fresh perspective, huh? Yeah, it was It was very nice to see. Yeah. So for you, it, uh, coming from a place where you have uh, a busy work life, a busy home life, um, and you recognize the importance of taking care of you, what were your goals coming into Heart to Start? Um. I, my big goal, because you could choose from a 5k or a 10k. And most of my life, I've been able to run a 5k, even if I take a ton of time off. Um, aside from right after I had my children, then it was impossible to run five minutes. Um, but a 10k was really my goal. And I didn't I didn't know how to train for it anymore. I didn't know what was going to make me want to push past that three mile mark. I'm like, this is good. I, I ran for 30 minutes. I, I can go eat that donut if I really want to. Um, but having that option to push myself further was really what I was looking for. And to be a little bit faster, to kind of remind myself of my high school days <laughs> when I used to be quick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and, and it's a great time also to highlight that, uh, especially in this virtual world, hard to start is different things for different people. Um, we started out really focused on training people to run a 5K or walk a 5K, expanded to include uh, double that distance, 10K. And now as we uh, spread throughout uh the United States and into Canada, we realized that people are going to have different goals. You'll have uh, somebody uh, up in Alaska who's snowshoeing or cross-country skiing. Uh, somebody in uh, the Midwest is doing something else. Someone in Texas who doesn't want to go outside and wants to be in the air conditioning and use a treadmill. Mm -hmm. And so it's great to think that people can identify a goal that is special to them with a way of moving that is also meaningful to them and they can pursue it. So I'm so glad you were able to define that for yourself. Um, did you identify uh, a goal day or event, so to speak, in order for you to do this 10K that you were hoping to accomplish? It was... Um because at the end of 
my season, it was the follow your heart 10K um, that was set up and that was it. That's all I needed because I wasn't, I didn't feel comfortable going to races yet. There weren't a lot of races happening, but I was like, it's a virtual race. I'm going to do it in my neighborhood. And that was my goal. Um, the day of the race, it was pretty chilly, um, but I actually had some neighbors who I did not know. They saw me run by and I wore my bib. I wore my race bib. I put my name on it, had my kid's color on it. Um, and a guy came out in his bathrobe. He's like, are you running a race? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And I, after I finished the loop, he had gone inside and gotten his wife also in her bathrobe and they came out and were cheering for me. Like they were in their front yard cheering for me and my running by myself virtual 10K. And that was just incredibly heartwarming. And I was like, man, people are still awesome. It was, it was great. That is an enduring image of yeah. two bathrobed individuals mm -hmm. on some cold day uh, cheering you on uh, while you do your race. I absolutely love that. And your comment that like, you know, people can still be awesome. And in the past uh, year and a half, there have been occasions where sometimes we don't think that everyone is always awesome all the time. Mm -hmm. And those types of moments where awesomeness shines through, maybe because you've created an environment in which it can shine through. It's welcome to shine through. And so in a funny way, you were part of that for those people. That's pretty great, huh? Yeah. I love it. Um, so you finish your 10K and uh, what happens next? I took two days off and then I ran again. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're very disciplined. So, yeah. so but the program was over. Why didn't you just settle into your own bathrobe and, you know, just kind of go back to the way things were before? Why'd you keep going? I, I caught the bug. Um, you know, that that feeling you get after you move your body, after you exercise, it becomes kind of a little bit of an addiction. Like I, that felt really good. I want to go feel that way again. And when I didn't run, I'm like, man, I kind of miss it. Let's just... It hadn't been second nature in my life for a good six, seven, eight years. And Heart to Start just made it second nature for me again. It's wonderful. Something we've been talking a lot about in these episodes is uh, identity. And that theme of identity as it pertains to your physical activity, your athleticism, how you perceive yourself, it's its pretty unique to each person, right? Um, when you were that high school cross-country athlete, that uh, I imagine was part of your identity. And as you found yourself uh, growing older and circumstances changed and it was not as much a part of your identity, the idea that a program like Heart to Start could help you reclaim that. And um, something I think about a lot, um, taking care of, of, of patients, taking care of people whose identities are somewhat uh, shifted by a diagnosis or uh, some kind of medical event. Uh, it's really helpful sometimes to be able to um, create experiences that help people restore 
parts of themselves that they thought that maybe they had lost or pushed away into some corner and were just gathering dust. So it's very special that you were able to recognize that, no, I'm a person who runs. And so I better get out running. Um, are you still running now? I am. Um, I had to take a little break from that. Um, I became one of those people that had a diagnosis that changed my perspective. Um, at the ripe old age of 37, I suffered a vertebral artery dissection and just kind of randomly, it's it's an injury to um, the vascular of an artery that supplies blood flow to your brain, which is an important artery. So I injured it. I wasn't allowed to work. I wasn't allowed to exercise. I wasn't allowed to lift my children. I couldn't lift more than 10 pounds for six to eight weeks. Um, and, and then that time it was kind of hard to figure out how to move my body. Um, since then I've, I'm allowed to do things now. I can, my doctor says I can run. And, you know, a week after he said, you can start jogging. I was, I was back out, you know, I started back slow. I ran, I kind of walked, jogged a mile, be like, okay, this still feels okay. And then a few more days later, I went a little bit more and went a little bit more and built myself back up to run in a 5k again. And, you know, a few months. So it, it, even though I had a time frame where I wasn't allowed to do it, I got back to it because it's what makes me feel good and it's what's going to keep me healthy, even with my new diagnosis. I'm so happy that you're back at it, um, that you're able to be back at it. For uh, folks listening who are less familiar with this idea of a, a vertebral artery dissection, as you described, we have a number of blood vessels that essentially come from our hearts and ultimately reach our brains. And those blood vessels are so important in supplying our brains with blood and oxygen. And there is this phenomenon where in otherwise healthy people, they can develop basically a tear in the wall of these blood vessels. It's not common. Um, but it certainly can happen. And obviously, uh, it's a very sensitive situation where um, a person's ability to be uh, very active and jostling their head around and doing all the fun stuff you describe with your kiddos and stuff like that, that, that future is a little bit in doubt while you're um, undergoing your own rehabilitation. So here you are as an occupational therapist um, who all of a sudden becomes the patient. And I'm sure that even though you're always, you know, very uh, optimistic and encouraging with your own patients and helping them to achieve their goals, no one ever exactly knows what the outcomes will be. And so I'm curious, what was that like for you to find yourself with a new identity pretty quickly, I bet, and not knowing what was ahead for you? Yeah, it was, it, it literally happened in the course of a day. I was treating patients in the hospital and I was in the ICU that night in the hospital I worked at, which was also a really fun experience. Um, but it, I kind of didn't, I kind of had that moment of, 
what's this going to look like? You know, getting a new diagnosis that you weren't expecting. Um, you don't know what the future is going to hold. You don't know what's going to be possible. Um, so that me being an active person most of my life and being young and having young children and having a physical career, um, I, I, I had to take some time. I had to take a pause to figure out what all that was going to look like. And I'm, I'm very lucky that I, I can still do some of the things that I love. Some things are off the table. I can't play indoor soccer again. There's too much jostling there, but I feel like I'm going to maybe be a do athlete now. Maybe I'll take up biking and running and, you know, find that new passion, new ways to move my body. I find that so inspiring. I mean, the reality is all of us are invincible until the day we're not. And so for a lot of people who may think of themselves in a certain way from the perspective of their, their health or their wellness or their just ability to move freely, um, everybody at some point will experience some challenges that may impact how they view themselves and the things that they're able to do. And so I'm kind of curious when you got that green light, so to speak, to get back out there, what was that like? Just, I don't know, emotionally, just from the perspective of your you know, looking forward to your future, what does that feel like? It was exciting. There's There was also that apprehension of, is this really okay? Um, but then once I, I got out there and I did it, I'm like, okay, it's it feels great to be able to to do things it was uh i could i could see where my future was going yeah forward yeah um oh, that's that's wonderful um you know for a lot of people out there who have experienced health challenges obviously you want to um get back uh on the track so to speak under the guidance of your healthcare providers your health team because you want to do only the things that are going to be safe for you. But I think that your story really serves as an inspiration that usually more is possible than you think it is. And I'm curious now as an occupational therapist who's sort of been on the other side, um, how does your experience inform your work? How do you, how do you communicate with your patients? or view their journeys differently given your own? I think it's given me that insider perspective because you don't always know everybody else's pain. You don't know their past experiences, but I can honestly say I've been in that ICU bed. You know, I've been in this place where I can't go do the things I wanna do. And I think that gives me more empathy and more understanding um, of what they're going through, which ultimately hopefully will make me a better therapist. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that is the kind of secret sauce of Heart to Start over the years is the idea that everybody on that track, whether it's the physical track or just the track of life, is that we are all on our individual journeys. Um, and you don't really learn about other people's journeys until you create a space that shows that it's safe to share. And once you do, the whole world opens up and you sort of feel like anything's possible because you see what somebody else is doing 
where they've been and what what they're up to now. And you get to be that thing for them too, that same inspiration, uh, because you've both kind of given each other that permission uh, to be bold. And so, um, you know, a, a phrase that we sometimes use in the Heart to Start community is healing it forward. The idea that you take your own journey and you put it to use by using it to help serve other people. And amazingly, you could have written the textbook on that because you took your own journey and you are back to work um, doing the occupational therapy and using your journey to help people on theirs. And you're also uh, back on the track, so to speak, uh, moving things forward. So before we wrap things up, I just want to know what, what you're up to now, what you're looking forward to doing, and uh, what's next for you? I, um, I I went on a run this morning. I did my 5K. Um, I actually, I'm super excited. My mother-in-law, who is 67, is running her very first 5K the day before Halloween. And she wanted her whole family to run with her. So my husband and I and her daughter and son-in-law, we all have matching shirts and matching shorts. And we're all going to go be with her first 5K because she found running at 66, you know? <laughs> it's never too late to have the heart to start. And as I think all of us have this vision in our minds of this, you know, beautiful family in their matching shirt and shorts, I think all of us are also hoping that those two neighbors are wearing their bathrobes <laughs> and hearing her on from the street. For sure. For sure. It is so nice of you to spend a little bit of time with us today. Your story is truly inspiring. And I think that for so many people out there who are trying to literally find the heart to start, I think that uh, you got a lot of people moving today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Bye-bye now. We appreciate all of our Heart to Start participants. Our hope in sharing stories from our community members is that you find connection and inspiration for your own journey. Mm -hmm.